You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. So today we have a masterclass on the Pan-African Parliament. Um, and this session is really to help us understand how we got here, you know, the events and the things that led us to where we are now as far as the Pan-African Parliament is concerned. So they announced an indefinite sus- suspension of the presidential vote after the process over the past couple of days descended into absolute chaos amidst scuffles. There were some uh, violent altercations, um, uh, Pemimajodina was kicked, in fact, by one of the other parliamentarians. They're just deep differences and clearly communication breakdowns that have led to this point. And so we thought we would have this masterclass, but matters got uh, ran ahead since it has now been indefinitely suspended. So this particular sitting... Uh, PAP is holding the, the, they were holding the fourth ordinary session of the fifth parliament, right? And we thought, oh, it's ending on Friday. We will do a masterclass. But boy, has it been fireworks. So this year, in fact, on the 18th of March, marked the commemoration of the Pan-African Parliament's 17th anniversary. And um, South Africa, of course, is where the parliament is based. And it was established by the Abuja Treaty as one of the organs of the AU. And it has a number of mandates, of course, which uh, will be mentioned as part of our conversation today. So all AU member states are part of the parliament except for Eritrea. And really lots of questions have been raised about how it works and about the debates that we've, been, that, that have been had about, um, why it is we saw the deep divisions that have played out over the past couple of days. And really this masterclass was to map these issues out. Um, and we thought we'll still do it nonetheless because this is an ongoing issue. And so joining us this afternoon is Chris Maroleng. Executive Director um, at Good Governance Africa, and he'll be guiding us through some of these technicalities um, and some of the sources of difference. Chris, good afternoon. Thank you for your time today. Aza, good afternoon, and, and really thank you for having me on your program to discuss this vexing issue of uh, uh, the Pan-African Parliament. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's been a disappointing week. I don't know how you viewed the events of the past couple of days. Yeah, it's not just been deeply disappointing, but to a lot of us who have a deep commitment to the unity of Africa, it is uh, somewhat of both an embarrassment and a, a real step or several steps backward because... Um, when, when we look at the sort of intention of the founding fathers of the African Union and in turn the uh, Pan-African Parliament, the idea was to establish a Pan-African Parliament that would ultimately act as a body that would facilitate a consultative process amongst Africans. It would lead to the further unity of the African continent. And more importantly, the body itself would facilitate and act as a platform for the unity and the uh, advancement of uh, Africa led by the citizens of the continent. Mm -hmm. But what we see right now is almost the opposite, where uh, questions of African unity questions of uh, advancing the development of the continent through this important body, which was established through um, a, a protocol 
um, that that saw the establishment of the Pan-African Parliament as an institution here in South Africa has really been retarded Mm -hmm. by the recent shenanigans that we've seen going on on the floors of uh, the parliament. Certainly, it hasn't been parliamentary uh, behavior on those floors in recent days, Aza. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially when you talk about the ordinary citizen, um, the voices of the people were absolutely absent in this back and forth that we saw. And as you were mentioning that really the intention was to provide a common platform for African people uh, and grassroots organizations to just be more involved in discussions and decision making on the problems and the challenges that face the continent so um, that I didn't see uh, any kind of regard or or, uh, uh, thinking uh, about the people in what played out um, in the interactions between the MPs you mentioned its move to South Africa so it was moved from Addis Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to Midrand in 2009 um, uh, with its second legislature just remind us what were those reasons because that issue also pertains to maybe some of the things that were flying around as part of the fracas we saw this time. Yeah, I think one of the key reasons for its move down here to the southern uh, sort of region uh, of Africa was to ensure that the uh, powers uh, that pertain to the African Union were diffuse, spread across the Africa across the African continent, its its different zones, to ensure that people could have what you could describe as, let's let's say, um, a sense of ownership of the various institutions, that they were not just centralized in Addis and people could actively see and participate, at least in, 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 in principle, in some of these activities and that's why it was moved down this side uh, to ensure uh, that we we could have a a sort of a a less centralized uh, African Union which certainly wasn't the case with the predecessor organization uh, which is the Organization of African Union. Um, and then it was at that gathering, in fact, where President, former President Jacob Zuma, he gave that opening address and he called for the parliament to be given full legislative powers, which is really the work that we, uh, was, we were supposed to be witnessing, you know, part of the work we were supposed to be witnessing at this particular sitting that the parliament should be given full legislative powers. Um, and this issue of members being elected by universal suffrage. Um, so, this is that we can almost trace it back to to that moment. But what is the uh, importance of uh, of that particular decision and how it's played up over the past couple of years? So th- this is the irony of the Pan African Parliament in that it it is established as a body of lawmakers that have uh, legislative authority, i.e., they can make laws uh, that govern. Uh, the African continent uh, in the interest of Africa, we would have hoped. However, as we track the progression of the Pan-African Parliament, we simply see it as a toothless instrument in that the Pan-African Parliament is nothing but 
a talk shop right now. It is nothing more than a consultative body that facilitates debates and can recommend to the executive, which is the African Union, on what they believe. They don't have a legislative powers, even though it was intended to have these legislative powers. So this is the, 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 the irony of uh, the Pan-African Parliament in that we have not progressed this institution to the point where the parliamentarians themselves have the ability now to uh, enact uh, so-called legislation pertinent to the development of, and unity of the African continent. In actual fact, uh, this failure to see the African Union uh, develop to uh, this legislative capacity that we're discussing now mm-hmm. really then leads us Azza, to, 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 to ask this fundamental question. What are the shared and common values, hopefully uh, around democracy, hopefully around good governance, around development, economy, Africa's integration, uh, that would unify uh, these various states of, of Africa towards ensuring that the Pan-African Parliament as an organization mandated to do these things can ultimately achieve its mandate. Mm-hmm. What we actually see as a, is quite the opposite, that the failure to identify and create shared and common values uh, around this broad mandate that the uh, Pan-African Parliament is given, in my view, is one of the structural root causes for uh, the fact that what we see pertaining uh, in the Pan-African Parliament is really this question of personal interests taking over uh, this mandate or, or overcoming this mandate uh, that I have just described to you. Mm, mm. And so in an effort to give it its legislative powers, right, there are certain steps or certain things that have to happen, which uh, um, is part of what we saw in this particular sitting, uh, a part of, uh, you know, pro, a part of um, uh, um the 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 functioning that had to be sorted out so the presidential elections let's address that for a moment because there are two approaches being debated here and there are deep divisions around which would be the best approach in selecting a, a president for the for 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 parliament so so far since its establishment what has the process been before we look at the amendments and the changes that um, have led to this debate Well, what has effectively happened is a situation where uh, the parliamentarians in a plenary session would come together and ultimately then uh, within plenary engage in an elective or an electoral process that would elect these key functionaries, for example, uh, the president and the, um, let's call it the candidate with the majority of votes would ultimately win. Mm. What we are seeing unfolding right now in the Pan-African Parliament is a situation where the Southern African region is lobbying and agitating for what they describe as a rotation of um, this leadership of the Pan-African Parliament around uh, the four or five regions of uh, the African continent. And therefore, they who would uh, are pushing for this are saying that by doing this, 
we are ensuring that all regions would have an opportunity to to lead um, the the, the Pan African Parliament, uh, because in essence, uh, the, the 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 president would in essence come from one of these regions, and it would his leadership would rotate. Mm. What the suggestion has unfortunately exposed right now, Aza, is a situation where I think two things emerge which are important for this discussion today. The first one is that the regions themselves have become a source of division of the African continent, ultimately the African Union. And within these regions and outside of these regions is then the question of linguistics. Mm-hmm. As you are aware, to our colonial history, uh, we have Anglophones, Francophones, Lucophones, and uh, a- 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 Arabic speakers on the African continent, which are essentially the official languages of uh, the African Union. The fact that uh, the Southern African uh, lobby that I described earlier, that is lobbying for this rotation, are principally Anglophones, and those who have been at the helm because of their numerical advantage are essentially from the West African region and more importantly, uh, Francophone speakers has led to a situation where these colonial definitions, Azania, colonial definitions that defined the continent before the independence of most of our countries in Africa are now leading to the division of the Pan-African Parliament in this process, leading us to say it was quite apparent from the beginning that a lack of shared and common uh, values around the need for the unity of Africa, the education of our, our, our politicians who represent us as MPs in the Parliament, in, in the Pan-African Parliament, for the need of a decolonialized process for Africa has led us to this position where colonial tendencies and a lack of transformation and reform are now leading to the conflict that we see on the floor of the Pan-African Parliament. Mm, Well, I heard Julius Malema saying in an interview that the South and the North um, have been the most understanding and most peaceful people. And this modesty has been taken as stupidity because uh, the seat of uh, the, the presidency of the parliament has been occupied by East and West African uh, regions since the inception and that they've been, uh, they've kept quiet about it. And that has been taken as, to quote him, as stupidity. Um, and, if we if we take a closer look uh, at the other side, the proponents or those that are motivating for the election process, the election option, what is their case? What is the case that they're making there? Because the rotational approach suggests that there would be more equity. Um, and then after that, I want us to come back to this Malabo protocol because there are ordinary citizens that, um, who, depending on which option is selected, uh, would be shut out of the process. So let's start with the proponents and those motivating for the election route. Right. So those motivating for uh, the electoral route uh, are really taking a very functional interpretation of the protocol establishing the Pan-African Parliament. And they are arguing that the rules of the game 
as they are currently stipulated, indicate that an election on at plenary um, and the candidate with the majority is what has uh, been the the normative and the uh, substantive approach in which elections have been carried out uh, currently and in the past. And their argument is consistent in, and it's in, in that the protocol establishes for such an electoral process. So when you then, like Julius Maleme and others, take a view that Yes, the laws may say this, the rules of the game may say this, but if we are to enhance a, 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 a continental uh, ownership of the Pan-African Parliament, the leadership, uh, in, 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 in a sense, should be allowed to rotate through the regions so all regions have a chance. You mentioned that East Africa had, had previously been uh, at the helm of uh, the presidency of the Pan-African Parliament. Well, that was right at its inception in 2004, where we had uh, Gertrude Mongela from Tanzania as the uh, president. Since then, it's, it's been West Africa. We've had countries like Nigeria, like Cameroon, uh, like Chad, uh, really at the helm of uh, the uh, Pan-African Parliament, and ultimately it, th this has led to the tensions that we're talking about. Mm. Um, so, that's so, the thing is, I also want to understand the kind of power that people are jostling for. So, what kind of power is inherent in this position of president and uh, the vice presidents that would be elected or that would that would hold office through whichever means, through whichever means, right? Whether it's rotation or election, what kind of power would they have that there would be this kind of contestation? You, you know, uh, sometimes as I know, they say when the stakes are low, the contestation is quite high, and ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the power that accrues to uh, the, the leadership of, uh, let's call it, the, say, the president is really around the procedural components of an institution, as we have established, that has been described as lacking efficacy and uh, really lacking alignment to what we could describe as what should be the true mandate of, 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 the, of, of the African Union, which leads us to the conclusion that there must be something else. And someone once said to me, you know what? If you want to find out something, follow the money. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have understood is that the allocation of resources, particularly money, that flows through the African Union has been something that keeps on being highlighted as being a major stumbling block in that it has bred corruption, the fruitless and wasteful expenditure that is being alleged by other par parliamentarians, and ultimately it has led to the disunity of the members of Parliament of Africa. Can I say something else also, Aza, which is that if you look at the majority of countries in uh, Africa who are represented in the Pan-African Parliament, you'll be struck by the fact that a lot of these countries are even deficient or lacking in true democratic credentials, which then says to you, that's why 
you see these accusations of uh, autocratic tendencies, dictatorial tendencies, bully boy uh, 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 tactics uh, being assumed because, again, as I said, probably no shared and common values about what democracy means to the AU to the Pan-African Parliament. And where does that leave African unity? Uh, we're going to continue our masterclass, but first we bring you the latest in Eyewitness News. Um, so uh, if you have any questions, make sure you send them through to us. Many of your questions already coming in, and uh, we will be answering them uh, just as we uh, just, we just need to wrap some of the technicalities about how the Pan-African Parliament works and some of the issues at play at the moment. And Chris Maroling, Executive Director of Good Governance Africa, joins us for this conversation and just before that we were looking at why um, what the positions are the proponents and motivators for the rotation system versus the proponents and motivators for the election system but I think uh, Chris what hasn't been uh, focused on enough is what the Malabo protocol allows um, this exclusive membership which South Africa is rejecting that elections uh, this exclusive membership which was part of the Malabo uh, protocol means that members of uh, the Pan-African Parliament will be elected from outside their national legislatures and will not be members of the local legislature and you know when one yeah. thinks of it it's like this this will maybe mean that um the pan-african parliament will become more representative of say the will of the people that uh, yeah. it governs um and it will be uh, more accessible to ordinary citizens um and will 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 not see or be more of what we see in our own legislatures yeah. Look, it is in principle a very nice thing to have. But when we look at the situation on the ground, very few countries in Africa right now have the ability even to run free and fair elections that express the will of the people in their own countries at a national level. Now you uh, refer to the Malabo, Malabo um, uh, declaration that effectively calls on uh, directly elected mm -hmm. members of parliament, which is not the case right now where we have members of uh, parliament uh, who are elected in national elections simply brought together to represent that country. Now, the direct election also says, how about the costs? Who is going to fund these elections? across 54 potential countries? Who is going to secure them? Who is going to ensure that all of the things that are required for the successful execution of elections, even talking at a qualitative level, that they're free, fair, uh, uh, allow for the, the will of the people in countries, mm. some of them that don't even allow uh, the will of the people to come out. Uh, do you really think, Azania, that this is a practical solution for Africa at this stage? I would argue not. Hmm. Yeah, so that's an interesting one uh, because it seemed attractive, obviously, because it would, uh, it, it would give us the picture that I had described, but you also make an argument mm -hmm. for just practically how would that work? And uh, Pemima Jodina is also of the view that how do you keep those individuals accountable 
to their own governments because they are not in parliament. Um, and there there are several questions, in fact, about those that are representing South Africa. One of uh, the WhatsApps that have come in says, um, can you please explain Malema's role in the Pan-African Parliament? It's strange to see him there, given that his party only has 6% of the national votes in South Africa. And then another one um, saying, how did, how did we end up sending Julius Malema as one of our delegates so there's a question about the the composition of the parliament yes, of the delegation mm-hmm. yes so in, in actual fact it's about the, the composition of the delegation that is put forward by any member state yeah. of uh, the uh, pan-african parliament and when we look at the uh, sort of the rules of or the protocol uh, establishing the Pan-African Parliament. It, it, it says a few things about this. It says that each country will be allowed to put forward five uh, members of parliament. It says uh, very prescriptively that one of those five must be a female. Mm. But more importantly, it says that the um, representation must uh, represent the balance of, of, of forces and indeed the, 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 the balance of power and the composition of the uh, domestic national uh, legislature. Mm-hmm. So in essence, what it's saying is that if there are opposition uh, members, it, it, is, it is required that those opposition members are also involved in this delegation and that uh, at least one of these members of parliament who are sent forward uh, to the pan-african parliament is a is a is a female yes now that in a way explains to a large extent why julius malema uh, the commander-in-chief of the economic freedom fighters is there um i i believe he was deemed as fit and interested uh to represent south africa and be part of those five who are sent from south africa Right. And just to fill in our listeners on the five that represent South Africa, we have uh, the, our chairperson, uh, so that is Ndate um, Masondo. Uh, um, and then we have uh, Mayor Pemima Chodina, uh, who's obviously the chief mm-hmm. whip of the ANC. There's Dr. Matola, Matola Mutsecha, and of course, uh, Julius Malema. And then from the DA, because we haven't heard anybody ask about that, from the DA, there's Tembekile Majola, who represents the Democratic yeah. Alliance. So that is the uh, the five that uh, yeah. are representing this particular country. I hope that answers your question there. Now, um, I wonder, let's look at the powers of the Pan-African Parliament over nation states. Because there's also been a a view or assertion or belief that the pace of change is also held back by what some, the the, the snail pace of progress um, can be due to perhaps the resistance to creating this supranational body with legislative Mm -hmm. powers that leaders are not for that. So that begs the question about what kind of powers would the parliament have um, over various states, uh, you know, it, and is the fear part of the fear that it would supersede the national authority of leaders because it has it's empowering the common people of the continent? 
It's a fantastic question, and it goes to the nub of this issue that we are discussing, Aza, which is effectively when the Organization of African Unity, the predecessor of the AU, the African Union, uh, was 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 criticised and ultimately was uh, transitioned to form the AU. Effectively, the idea that countries or member states, the OAU, it was not okay for it to practice this policy of non-interference, especially in the domestic issues. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, the AU was believed and described to engage in the practice of non-indifference. That is, if something was going on in a member state that the African Union under this new concept that was emerging at the time in the United Nations about the responsibility to protect the sanctity of human rights. And ultimately, we as Africans agreeing that Ubuntu, 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 i.e. the concept of Ubuntu would ultimately mean that if something is happening in my neighbor's place, I cannot be indifferent. Mm. I must engage. And therefore, uh, that saw the establishment of the African Union. Now, it, it goes to your question to say there is a concern that if we had a fully functional and effective Pan-African Parliament, that this would dilute the sovereignty. This would dilute the legislative authority and power of domestic parliaments in a way that the Pan-African Parliament could probably uh, institute laws that were not in agreement with the the, the domestic practice (laughs) in the various member states. This was ultimately discussed and it was found to say that those who had signed and ratified the the, the protocol uh, and were members of uh, the uh, PAP ultimately agreed to cede and to see the Pan-African Parliament when it attains this legislative power as having uh, the, the right lawfully to engage in the institution of such laws. So uh, that is why we are saying that the, the, the concept of the, uh, the PAP on paper is great. But when you look at it in practice, given uh, the weak nature of democratic practice, the, uh, what is the word, the, the tendency to uh, cling on to sovereignty by member states and still to practice this silly concept, this outdated concept of non-interference in the interest of uh, this big boys club, very often of leaders, who uh, do not cover themselves in democratic glory could explain in part your question, Aza. Mm. In fact, Sisonke Msimango wrote a piece where she said she's going to sit out Africa Day celebrations because all it is is a flex of uh, the big men, you know, uh, just even more of a reinforcement of the existence of the big men uh, on uh, uh, within the continent. Uh, what you were saying just reminded me of what was, I think, a really important comment as we reflect on uh, unity and the progress of the continent, whether through Africa Day or through um, the events that we saw playing out at the Pan-African Parliament. Here's a voice note, Chris. Just uh, take a listen. Mm-hmm. 
something's happened. It seems like our desk on occasion uh, doesn't want to play out these voice notes. So while they try and figure that out, um, let's carry on with some of the other questions and comments. One says, Dear Zania, this double-edged sword of the legacy of colonialism and the scourge of corruption hanging over us is the condition we seem unable uh, to escape from. This is not who we are, the ordinary people of Africa. And um, yet the rest of the world will be looking on and nodding their heads knowingly. Such a shame that this pup seems to be uh, epitomizing this now. How do we rise above it? Um, so that's one of the messages. And I think let's also reflect on a few others because they raise questions about one person says, uh, why shouldn't West Africa uh, continue in the presidency of uh, um, uh, the Pan-African Parliament if elected fairly? What then, what is the composition? Is it numbers-wise, will they always be in the majority? Is that what it means, merely because of the number of countries concentrated in that region? Yes, uh, pretty much. Uh, There are 200, about 235 uh, members of of the Pan-African Parliament. And uh, I would say uh, 75% of those uh, find themselves from that region and uh, sort of affiliated to what is uh, increasingly being described as this West African um, lobby. So on a simple numerical basis, an argument can be made that um, it would be impossible if we assume that all of the members of the West African lobby uh, continue to vote in bloc Uh, especially during presidential elections. What it also says is that if we simply focus on uh, this direct representation where of these 230-odd members of parliament, if they continue voting in their various regional blocs, there won't be a shared and common unity Mm. um, Mm. and ownership really, amongst the members of parliament. And that is why there's been this argument that by Julius Malema and his uh, counterparts in the Southern African uh, caucus, that maybe it's high time that we see uh, this uh, principle of rotation being instituted. And I understand, I haven't seen uh, this correspondence myself, Aza, <laughs> from the African Union, Yes, that the African Union itself is uh, in support of this this concept of uh, the rotation of of uh, leadership through the regions. Yes, I found that to be quite interesting that the delegates did not believe the West African and East African delegates questioned the valid- the validity of that letter um, that says that the legal uh, opinion from the African Union is that the rotation uh, system would be best and that that's what must be followed for this particular process. Um, and there was a questioning of the, the validity of that letter, which suggests that there's already a lack of trust. Exactly. Uh, spot on there as a lack of trust lack of unity of purpose, uh, non-focus and understanding, in my view, of the mandate, the rules and the principles of the African Union. Uh, But more importantly, I think there is uh, this tendency of pushing personal interests uh, above those of uh, the continent. And as a result, these personal interests would lead you to a position where 
the founding body of your institution, the, the Pan-African Parliament, and some of its members are questioning this founding body, the African mm-hmm. Union. Mm-hmm. How bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. So would it be more of what we see with ECOWAS, just ECOWAS playing out at uh, the Pan-African Parliament? You can also give us your views if we stick with the election system, which has been in place since the establishment of the Pan-African Parliament in 2004. Or do you believe that the rotation system would be best, especially for African unity um, and uh, uh, working together? So you can tell us what you think on 11 for your SMSs and your WhatsApps. Uh, in fact, it was um, the chairperson, Dr. Amos Masondo, who said that the, the two caucuses, referring to the East and the Western caucuses, saying that they've been using their majority in the Continental Parliament to ensure only their candidates occupy the presidency. And when the time comes to account, they use the same majority to shield them from accounting for how they have spent the funds of the Pan-African Parliament. And so having heard all of that, I wonder what your views are about what the best system would be. Here's that voice note, we promised you. Uh, good afternoon, Azonia. Uh, I beg to differ with your guest. Uh, actually, the Parliament have been a sleeping giant, which have been doing nothing. I think uh, the events have proved beyond doubt that this parliament can rise again and take its position again. Uh, so actually, I think these events are good. Then the, the parliament must be reformed. It has been sleeping. Right, so that's the view of one person. But let's look at what it has achieved. What is the good that has come out of uh, this parliament? At least we be accused of not acknowledging the good work that has come out of it. <laughs> um, I, wow, Aza, um, I, I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and that must say something, right? Um, you know, what in essence is something that we can point to as signifying, uh, you know, the activity towards democracy, good governance, transparency and accountability by the Pan-African Parliament? I don't see it to date. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we should invite your guests out there to 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 point us in the right direction, because uh, where I'm sitting, uh, there isn't much to show for it except for a very large bill. Yeah. So there are a few questions from Kingsley, and I'm going to ask that maybe we try and be brief with answering them. Kingsley in Germiston said, could you please ask your guest which African body has the authority to intervene in the current uh, uh, BAP impasse? And secondly, why is Eritrea not a part of these proceedings? And what would um, what happens to conflict over West Sarawia? Now, those are all fantastic questions. Let me try and go through them quickly. The African Union and um, the first question. Just remind me again, as I'm sorry, I was which body has uh, the authority to intervene in the current impasse? Yes, so it, it is the African Union. Uh, itself. Uh, that is the body with the authority to intervene. Ultimately, uh, they did, as we understand, send correspondence with a legal opinion around this question of rotation, but it seems to have fallen on deaf ears. Yes. And then the second one, why Eritrea is not a part of uh, the proceedings or part of the parliament? I, I have no idea. Maybe because uh, Eritrea in and of itself um, it cannot be described as a democratic state. 
because of some of the events and the lack of uh, transparency and accountability in that country, Maybe that might explain it. Mm, well, they're not a member of the AU because of the what's happening between themselves and Ethiopia. So I think maybe by implication would not then uh, are not participating in this one. And then one last one was, um, yes, uh, Western Sarawia. Yes. Yes, uh, the Sahara, Sarahawi Republic, and it mm-hmm. talks to uh, the contestation about its uh, also its status as a state. Uh, it is seen as currently uh, an autonomous region uh, of Morocco, and it's led to uh, several uh, arguments about its recognition as a fully fledged uh, state. Right. Let's take this final call from uh, Greg as we conclude. Hello, Greg. Hi. Um, yes, I just wanted to contribute on the topic. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm for rotation, and that's not because I'm from Southern Africa. I believe the answer to or the way to resolve this impasse is to look at the whole essence of the AU. It's about union. Now, if one segment or two segments of that union feel left out of the leadership, well, it, it, the whole essence of the union is lost. So I'm for rotation the way it's done in the EU. Wonderful, Greg. Thank you so much. It also strikes me as something that is more equitable. Uh, speaking to Chris, I'm persuaded that the exclusive membership uh, proposal, which I initially thought, oh, that's quite noble, <laughs> as he made clear, it would be uh, quite difficult to execute across the different countries and then be another stumbling block and, you know, uh, an issue that uh, slows down progress. And so having put that out of the way, I think the rotation system system is just much more equitable. Chris, uh, final comment from you? Look, I, I think um, you and I, and you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I've, I've always been fascinated uh, by your, your first name, Azania. You know? <laughs> um, it, 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 it talks to our aspirations uh, in the southern part of um, the continent for freedom, for unity uh, with the rest of Africa. And in essence, this is what the Pan-African Parliament and the African Union should be seized with, not these petty uh, discussions that detract us from uh, meeting its mandate. We've got to ensure at an institutional level that these bodies are able to function. So, Azania, keep on reminding us of the need for Africa. We'll try. Chris, lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. The executive director at Good Governance Africa, Chris Maroling.